welcome to the Event Sushi Podcast. I'm Danielle Hernandez. I'm Steve Edelman. Happy New Year, guys. We made it to 2022. Woohoo! We are Feels starting... a lot like last year still, Danielle. Yes, but I'm ever optimistic that, that things will be improving as opposed to spinning. All right, so should we talk <laughs> so, about events things then? Let's talk about events, you know, because we have gotten to this point where we are doing events. Things are weird, but we're still doing events and we're doing big events and little events. So so let's stay on the horse to use a weird metaphor. Let's talk about events. events. Let's talk about events. And let's let's talk about communication. Let's talk about ICS, which stands is, for Well, it stands for the Incident Command System. We'll have acronyms for you today. So, so podcast listeners, if you like acronyms. This is the pod for you. Uh, we've got acronyms coming out of orifices we didn't know we had because we're using government words and government names for things, U.S. government. And well, that's always good sport. So what we've done in order to kind of soften the hard edges of government talk is we've brought two smart friends with us today. Absolutely. Um, and, and they're smart friends from a really fun event, South by Southwest in Austin, Texas, coming to you, all the plans are, um, in March of this year. So um, smart friends Tammy Richter and John Badcock are here. Tammy is, as of today, we are told, um, Vice President of Event Operations and John Badcock is Festival Operations and Safety Manager. So smart people from South By um, here to talk with us about ICS. Um, turning so, to you, so, John Badcock. Exactly, um, because John. Get us started. That, that, <laughs> that you, you sort of are the guy to explain what the incident command system is from the beginning. John Badcock, what is ICS? <laughs> Good morning. So yes, ICS, um, as you say, the Instant Command System. Um, and it's a, a sort of standardized approach that's been adopted by uh, public safety and, and evolved. It now sits as a, a component of the National Incident Management System, which is uh, otherwise known as NIMS to, to keep the acronyms flowing. Uh, and it's a, a kind of a standardized approach used by public safety and lots of other governmental organizations. Um, to kind of sort of standardize the command, control and coordination of how they organize and respond to uh, incidents and situations, um, especially where it requires several different agencies to uh, work together and to, to communicate and, and generally, you know, again, to within the one of the objectives of it, common operating picture and situational awareness that we'll probably talk a bit more about uh, to basically how they can facilitate that um, in their in their response. It's, it's in that lens of, of public safety where you can imagine the fire department and the police department and EMTs all coordinating. But if you think about it, in live events, even smaller ones, you can have multiple groups with individual, for lack of a better term, command structures that need to interact. And you know, I can just think in, in terms of pure production where you have a sound company and a lighting company and they're interfacing through stage management and production management. So this sounds like is something that's extremely useful for us. Is that, does that, John, does that translate well from, if you take it from law enforcement and AHJs to production and live events? 
this is where I, I say no but and um, <laughs> and try not to break the format of the podcast straight away. Yes, it does. It absolutely does. 100% when you're working with public safety, when you're working with people who are trained and have an understanding in it, where it can be more challenging uh, and always needs to be taken as a consideration of the bigger picture is where you're working with Paul, the backline engineer, or Jess, the volunteer who's just there to check tickets and so on. And if you suddenly come up to them and go, on this NIMS ICS org chart, can you specify who you are and where you sit? And, you know, within this structure, it, it from a live event perspective, it <laughs> is very apart. useful, but only in as much as you can train and teach people and, and for people to know how to use it as a tool. So, yes, 100% with public safety, with um, within your sort of control rooms, for example, but you would be doing yourself a disservice expecting people who aren't trained in it to use it sort of straight out of the gate because you're going to create potentially more problems for yourself there than, than if, you, if you just used, who's in charge? What's your name? Oh, they're the boss or they're the, you know, who's the, who's the stage manager, not the, you know, whatever, to use their terminology and so on. Yeah, I think you have to take the concepts from ICS and turn those into event speak if you're trying to, to train on them. And you can use the concepts of ICS um, that feeds up to the groups of people that actually are using an ICS system. Um, so it's not that you, I don't think it's, it's not that you can't uh, necessarily teach everybody in your event what ICS is, but you can definitely teach them the concepts of how it, how it works. Yeah, and that can be as simple as just this is your this is your job title. If somebody comes up carrying this job title, they don't need to know what that job title might mean in the public safety realm, but they know that that person, to use the term incident commander, from a public safety point of view, okay, that's the person in charge. That's the person we should be listening to when they say evacuate because of weather or shelter, or, you know, whatever. And and you know, if if it's a, your stage manager. To use a, you know, a further example, might want to introduce themselves to public safety. I'm the incident commander for this generator going down, and I'm managing the situation here where we respond on our side. You're managing the public safety, so it gives a um, yeah, it's a useful thing. And one of the words I often try to use is sort of a compatibility with. Um, we might not be entirely, you know, in, in, as event organisers, compliant with every facet of it because it's every facet isn't relevant. But as long as we can show where we're compatible and where those touch points are, um, you know, as, as Tammy says, that's a, a huge bound into, um, you know, being able to, to communicate with, with public safety or other agencies in a, in a language they understand. And I hope that, you know, or I think one of the, the things that we really try to reiterate over and over and over again as we're going through the planning process with our teams is it's role, not rank. And we just say that over and over again. It's role, not rank. It's not necessarily going to the most senior person in your company to make the decisions. It's who in that particular situation is the right person to take the lead, to make decisions and to resolve and to, to coordinate. So, I mean, is that an issue? It can be. Yes, it actually can be because, you know, you get two people in a room together 
you have one who's the vice president of event operations and you have, you know, the, the festival ops director over here or safety op. And, you know, I have vice president in my name, but I may not necessarily know exactly what the right course of action would be should, you know, the, the generator go down or, you know, or, you know, there's a, there's a small fire or something of that nature, but somebody else who's not a VP would definitely know how to handle that situation. So I'm a, I'm a really visual guy. Um, Mm -hmm. And ICS comes in lots of varieties, you know, sort of different flavors with different levels of complexity. So podcast listeners, if you don't actually know what we're talking about yet, you don't, (laughs) if you're not familiar with ICS, take a minute, pause the pod, go into like Google images or something and just type in ICS. Just those three letters, that'll be good enough. It'll pull up countless versions of the ICS organizational structure chart. And, you know, some of them are super simple. You know, they'll have like six or seven little boxes with an incident commander on the top in the middle and, you know, a public information officer to the left and a bunch of operational things on the right and, you know, one layer at the bottom of people who probably know what they're talking about as opposed to the, you know, the people higher up the chain, they receive information, people at the bottom actually have it because they're working. Um, Then there are other org charts that have greater and greater levels of complexity. So my point here is twofold. One, if you don't know what we're talking about, look it up because ICS is a thing and, you know, has lots of different layers of complexity. Related to that is it is scalable, um, which means the incident command system is intended, and what we all know as people who use it, is it works for events of the size and complexity of South by, as well as you know what our ESA president Jim Digby often refers to as the strawberry festival, you know, smaller, simple, local events that don't have all of the different offices on the ICS chart staffed by different people. So that's why, Tammy, I stopped you there with the role not rank comment, because it seems to play into something which ICS is intended to do, which is to be scalable, usable by Mm -hmm. events of all different sizes. And and to help you with your Googling, uh, ICS is part of uh, FEMA's offerings, Federal Emergency Management. This is all U.S. stuff. Uh, you can Google it. You can also just type in FEMA and ICS and all that comes up. There is training online. Uh, at least the basic training is all free. So mm-hmm. if you want to go through that, you are more than welcome to. It is fascinating and can be very helpful uh, regardless of your job or role. There's actually, you know, and and speaking of free training, you know, even when you get up to those management level trainings, those are usually offered for free as well through different agencies throughout whatever state that you're in. So uh, get your Google fingers out and try to find those because they are actually just absolutely wonderful. I've done uh, several, um, for example, I I, I did one on uh, arena evacuation where we actually were in the... uh, uh, Daryl K Memorial uh, Stadium, and we went through 
three days of learning how to evacuate the stadium and it was all free. It was wonderful. So let's talk a little bit more about how live events use ICS, especially for crowd management and planning operations, you know, and, and while this is definitely scalable, uh, I think it would be easier for us to talk about things on a larger scale because uh, again, we'll be talking about multiple roles and those roles turn into fewer people on the scalable smaller side, but it's easier to differentiate them out, I think, on, on a larger uh, event. So uh, when you're doing a larger event, I know you, you have to apply for a permit and you're working with a bunch of different AHJs. Um, so Tammy, can you talk a little bit about some strategies and, and common language that would be useful in that planning? Absolutely. You know, it wasn't always easy to talk to our AHJs. You know, this has sort of been an ongoing development of our relationships. Um, I, you know, I'll, I'll go back and, you know, not even with just our main event, but other events that I have uh, worked as, as a part of, you know, we were, as event organizers, the, the hippie, you know, partying, you know, crazy people that just, just wanted to throw a party in an event, right? And then we, as event organizers, we were talking to the cops. We didn't want, you know, the, the cops to tell us no. And as we all evolved and we started learning about the processes of our public agents, our counterparts on the public agency side, and we started learning um, more about holding safe events, um, we were able to really adopt this common language through ICS. And when we started having these conversations um, with our public safety uh, counterparts, um, partners, um, I think they started to understand that we were taking this seriously because we were able to speak their language and I felt it really bridged a gap in our communications. Um, so as we started you know, conversing a little bit more and talking about our plans and how they can integrate and how they can complement each other rather than you know, conflicting with each other, it opened up a whole new avenue of, of conversation. And I think we ultimately, you know, decided that, oh, we are we are planning for the for the same end goal, and that is to hold a safe event. Um, we in turn would teach them a little bit about the event world. You know, I don't think that, you know, all public safety uh, officials and departments really understand how or how events run and are organized. And so that was sort of our job too, to teach them, you know, what is our organizational structure? What is our response like? How do we set things up? And so the more we communicated every year, our plans just become tighter and tighter and tighter. John, what, what has been your role in a bunch of that? You said you're the safety coordinator, I assume, in, in your planning process? Yeah, so my kind of um, feed into this, we're, we're very fortunate in, you know, to continue the kind of the South by narrative. Um, in Austin, there's the uh, City of Austin Homeland Security and Emergency Management Department. Um, and they kind of, uh, as, a, as a coordinative kind of body between all of the different um, public safety agencies there have been fantastically supportive in helping to um, integrate our operations into city operations and, and helping us to integrate city operations into our plans so we can um, we, we can recognize where uh, we are as, as, as a private event organizer have the more skills or capabilities or experience to resolve certain situations so big queues for venues things like that we're, we're 
we that's what we do obviously if something's on fire that's what they do um so we need a you know we need to be able to sort of coordinate and work together on that so that's again whereas as tammy says this the, the sort of ics language and the structure of being able to identify people on that uh, org chart you mentioned and so on um you know has, has been fantastic so a large part of what i'm trying to do is all of this is taking what we discuss with public safety uh write it into you know any plans trainings briefing documents we have uh, to make sure that can be fed out to the people on the ground so all of the theory that we do early in the year doesn't live in a plan in a drawer is actually baked in at all all stages of our briefings and our um you know our engagement with, with whoever it is so we can actually utilize this planning we do in in such a way that it uh, benefits you know hopefully everyone so john I often try to contextualize things when I, I hear something smart and I'm not sure that we've framed it well. Is kind of the goal of ICS to help communicate plans that operations people like you create so that people who are not involved in the operations planning process um, later on know what the hell you've planned is that kind of the end game here? Uh, yes, uh, broadly speaking, yes. It's to to make sure that we're all on the same page and working together and and working as as seamlessly as possible to share understanding, share objectives, share what we're we're trying to achieve in in responding to a a situation. So yes, we've in in this conversation. Um, both you and Tammy have referred to AHJs. That's the authority having jurisdiction. It's actually a defined term in the NFPA life safety code. Um, Tammy, this is probably back to your role not rank term, which I've now absolutely fallen in love with. Who's the AHJ for any given event? Is it always the same person or rank or how do we know who an AHJ is? An authority having jurisdiction. Well, <clears throat> you're not going to work with just one AHJ. There's going to be a lot of AHJs. Um, you've got fire, you have medical, you have the police. And so it's really going to, to depend on what the situation is, on who's going to be taking the lead in whatever incident or emergency that you're dealing with. Just like on the event side, you have multiple departments doing multiple different tasks. Whatever that incident or situation or you know involves, whoever is most who whoever is cl most close to that situation or has the most information about that situation and where it's taking place is the person that's going to take the lead. And I think one thing that's sort of identified through some of this is that it won't always be that there is you know scalable. There is also an escalation process. So sometimes. We look at it like who's the lowest level person on the ground who can resolve this and if it it doesn't need the sort of the, the big gun senior management coming in if it's a simple thing that can be resolved on the ground but also identifying there is an escalation process there that um that you know as as the situation might develop to know that you've got those resources again resources that can kind of be identified within the the ics structure to to come in and, and to support that and to to scale up a response uh, as needed, and likewise to scale back the response as soon as it doesn't require a significant amount of resources involved in in whatever that 
um, you know, resolution is. I'm going to I'm going to piggyback on on John for a second, because this is where it becomes incredibly important to train all levels of your personnel, because the first person that comes across an incident could be a volunteer. It could be one of your vendors. And it's important that everybody knows what that escalation process is and knows how to report um, so that that ICS structure can come into play and the, the incident or situation or whatever it may be, you know, can be resolved quickly and with the right resources. Tammy, I've had that argument for years with people about including the custodial staff in incident planning mm -hmm. because you know i'm generally talking to the people who work in offices but i want to know how all the operational systems work and the people who service them tend to know best so safety in numbers right right i mean it's that old force multiplier thing you want to know what everything looks like you know, talk to the people who work on it every day, who clean it and service it, because they know. Yeah, they right. don't have to know everything about that plan. What I'm getting at is there's going to be the big main plan that we have for our event, but you're going to use that plan to develop training and scale it for whatever group that you're training. And so the training that your senior staff gets it's gonna be different than the training that your custodial staff gets or your volunteers. You need them to know the most pertinent information from that plan and as it relates to their own positions. Yeah, using, to, to that point, using examples and scenarios to, dem to, to illustrate stuff that's relevant. There's no point in giving a, a stage manager a, um, a, a campsite example of if this happens, or likewise, somebody who's looking after a campsite, a stage management example, because they'll go, well, that's not my world. Why does that apply? So how that training is kind of um, illustrated and, and made applicable to the, the recipient of that training is, is really important as well. This brings to mind something that I think one or the other of you guys referred to earlier on in the podcast, which is situational awareness. And it seems relevant to this discussion where we're talking about people who have different areas of focus. You know, John, you just mentioned the stage manager doesn't know anything about the campsite, probably doesn't care, doesn't need to know. So is situational awareness really as simple as the signs that we see in airports and, you know, the locker room at my gym, see something, say something, or is it more specific than that? I, I would say it's much more specific and one of the challenges in any event scenario, be it, you know, South by or a stadium or anywhere, is you've got a lot of people coming in from different backgrounds, maybe, and a situation that looks um, pretty uh, hairy to someone might not raise the same level of anxiety in someone else. So again, this is where is if we talk more about the, the kind of the NIMS national management side of, of ICS. One of the things that are common terminology, um, you know, chain of command, all of that is is actually making sure we're all communicating in a way that we understand and yeah, have this situational awareness. We all think or are all striving to to have this same picture of what's going on, so that we can all scale our response to it and um, you know and, and have a sort of adequate proportional sort of response. Uh, 
Yeah, and I would say the other part of situational awareness is thinking back to our custodian. They're going to be aware of supplies being missing or stuff being like trash overflowing or something leaking. And a stage manager is going to be aware of a production problem, but they're not, either of them are not going to be aware of the other person's potential for an incident. And, and perhaps one of the, the nice things about NIMS and ICS is it plays off the fact that people are aware of their situation. And as long as they are know what to escalate and to whom, hopefully things get resolved. Unless I'm missing something. Am I missing something? No? No. I, They're yeah. shaking their heads, guys. And it's, 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 it's an audio podcast, and that doesn't at all. <laughs> One of the things that plays into, you know, the, the common organization of ICS and, and how that relates to um, our events is a lot of times... I, and, I, and I've worked several events where they want to get really fancy with their own tin codes on the radio and they have their own speak, you know, when they're communicating with each other. And one of the one of the things that ICS does and NIMS does um, provide is a request for everyone to use plain language um, when you're speaking on a radio say exactly what you need and who you're speaking to and, and don't use codes and, and don't try to, you know, make up fancy acronyms for things because not everybody who's on that radio is going to know what the heck you're talking about. So if that custodian has a radio on them and they see something they want to communicate, they're just going to communicate it. You know, if, if there's a, a festival producer that needs to communicate something to a volunteer they just need to say what they need to say and what they're trying to get across in plain language. All right. So another conversation I've had over the years, is there some resource that Tammy Richter and John Badcock that you consider relatively authoritative about how to use a radio to communicate during events? Um, because I've had this 10 code discussion. Um, I've had conversations with people about how to report medical incidents. You know, do you use, you know, there's a there's a bob white in the tree, you know, when really what you mean is bring a stretcher, someone's bleeding out. Is there some authoritative resource that you guys would recommend to our podcast listeners? Ooh, silence. Have I stumped the room? I'm like, which one? <laughs> it's like a quiz. It's, are we on Jeopardy? What is? <laughs> the prize money is very low. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Plainlanguage.gov? Yeah, I mean, I guess, is, is that the point that you just, yeah. that in an ideal universe, you simply use plain language. So yeah. the 10 codes that we all grew up, you know, thinking, oh, that's cool. Um, you know, 10 4, good buddy. Good buddy. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, I lapsed into my dad's CB radio from when I was a boy. Um, so that's not, you know, reasonable practice, radio communication etiquette any longer? I, I think it's one of those things going back to the point of the where there's overlap between event organizers and public safety and where there's the where there's not. Um, aside from, you know, the common terminology being one of the kind of principles of NIMS and ICS as an event organiser and as, you know, that wider situational awareness piece, everybody on the radio, someone might be reporting a situation that doesn't 
necessarily affect somebody else who's hearing that, but them having awareness that that's going on uh, might be of value to them later on. So using these codes and things is, it can be very detrimental to that, you know, common operating picture and situational awareness and everybody understanding what's going on and what challenges others are facing um, to, you know, to, to allow them to kind of plan ahead or, um, or, or just have that awareness of what's going on. So it's even where people use codes on the event organizer side with all of the different disciplines and, and functions that we have as event organizers, I, I think you know very strongly that we, we should just use plain language and should just be descriptive because that allows as, as much as possible everybody to understand what's going on. You know, we also have a lot of, um, you know, as event organizers, half the time we do bring in a lot of staff from other areas, including internationally. And if we're bringing in an international staff to help support our event, John Badcock, no, I'm just kidding. Um, you know, <laughs> it's... Podcast uh, listeners, you may have detected a bit of an accent. <laughs> it's not Texas. <laughs> But we need to be able to support those people that are coming in to su support our event as well. They need to know what we're talking about. And if, you know, you're using a bunch of language that is specific to your event that they have no idea what you're talking about, it's not going to help anyone. And that's that's a two-way street, isn't it? You know, when we talk about the authority having jurisdiction, um, Tammy, you and I have recently been in meetings with people who are not event professionals rather mm -hmm. they are public safety officials from you know a fairly wide range of communities and backgrounds for me at least they speak a language with which i am not especially familiar so mm -hmm. you know this plain language approach isn't just about us event folk speaking clearly with each other but it's also that the public safety people need to understand what we're saying and that they use language that we get because they're the ones who tend to lapse into 10 code speak in my experience. And I'm just clueless. Yeah. It's, it's a hard habit to break. Cause you know, every once in a while I'll do it too. Like, you know, what's your 20? That's, you know, where, where are you? You know, I, I, every once in a while yeah, I'll slip backwards, you know, Nerd. but some, I know it's, <laughs> it's complete geekdom. Um, but you know, John and I, we, Although we work really closely with, you know, all of our public safety partners, you know, we, we do face some challenges sometimes with understanding, you know, what they're dealing with. Uh, we have tried to mitigate that a little bit by um, having somebody from the public safety side be close to us that can almost translate for us. Uh, because we want to make sure that we have awareness of what is going on in their world, just as we want them to have awareness of what's happening in the event world. Um, just maintaining a transparency between the two sides um, goes a long way in making sure that we are dedicating resources and, you know, addressing things that need to be addressed in the proper way. And, and I suppose to kind of further that, it's it's slightly outside the scope of the, the strict NIMS ICS piece, but mm -hmm. uh, exercises, workshops, tabletop exercises, it's, it's a bit difficult to try and get your lead public safety people to meet you for a coffee at the moment, obviously because of COVID, but traditionally we've, we've done that. Like, let's all just try and go for a coffee uh, and talk through what our concerns are six weeks out or, you know, just building up that rapport is, is um, and, and as I say, certainly to, to the other end of that, where you get some more formalized exercises, it's a fantastic opportunity to be able to say, okay, well, 
in not in the heat of the moment in this nice classroom type setting uh let's talk about that response you did why did you do that what's the help us to understand so we're not sitting over here thinking why are they responding like like they are when we don't mm -hmm. actually understand maybe the, the intricacies of what they're facing and, and similarly as event organizers where we can say actually we can do this and save you having to worry about that because we've got these resources and they go oh okay actually well next time this occurs we'll defer to you to start with and, and again that's kind of joint working or interoperability or whatever sort of fancy term you want to put on it it's um you know it's that exercise piece and that any meeting outside of the heat of the moment is is you know is going to be a good thing ah shared resources Hmm. <laughs> Segway. Segway. <laughs> so, so I learned best through uh, examples. I think if you guys are open to it, and if you're not, then Jacob can cut this whole conversation out, and we'll move on. Um, but I was wondering, could we talk through a, a a fake situation as it would play through a command center, um, and we can make it. We'll make it the Super Bowl because no nobody here works the Super Bowl, right? So so it's it's no nobody here's <laughs> right, but it's it's nobody here's job. So we're we're purely playing pretend. Um, but I'm sure that they have a command center. Uh, <laughs> we have friends and, who who work yes, the command center. Yeah. Ab absolutely, but we're not talking about them either. We're we're again making we're making stuff up. So, so let's pretend something happens at the Super Bowl if you guys are willing to play this game. And let's make it a medical incident uh, in a section that's right by the field uh, that may, you know, may affect TV and gameplay operations. Again, all this is unlikely, but we gotta start somewhere. Uh, so usher number 17 has reported this to their supervisor what happens next? <laughs> so their supervisor and without knowing their structure, and this probably this my response Again, might, know, might, might need a little bit <laughs> anything as I just kind of think through this. You would expect that that supervisor or a dispatcher is in a some form of a command post, control room, event operations center, uh, so whatever it's being termed. Hopefully, they would uh, radio in to, to that center with some kind of a pretty plain speak message of we have a patron who's uh, collapsed, they're unconscious, they're breathing, they're male, they're in this location, not trying to diagnose the situation, not trying to, you know, here's their social security number, any of that, just the facts on what it is, um, and hopefully request a medical response. And there's, there's a number of things that... Um, is it uh, acronyms or, uh, you know, chalet, which I can't actually remember the exact one, methane, ethane, uh, different things, little uh, mnemonics, that's what I'm looking for. So there's a range of mnemonics that can be used in reporting. So exact location, type of injury, hazards, access, all those type of things they might send in their radio message back. Um, that would allow the person in the command post, operations centre, to pass a message to the medical um, provider, and that might be through a, a, a CAD computer-aided dispatch system, some kind of log system, or it might be as simple as written on a post-it note, here's the details, hand it over. Uh, 
that would then allow a, a medical resource to be dispatched and, and within the kind of NIMS ICS structure that might be a what um what could be termed a single resource so it might just be you know a medic team um or it might be a if it's a maybe a bigger instant what they might term as a, a task force so made up of multiple different um medics plus a security element plus a fire you know so so multiple different agencies that would respond hopefully working together uh, to go in and respond to that medical situation um, at the same time within that command post to your, your point about could affect TV and so on, there would probably be a, a message passed to, um, you know, some kind of TV broadcast unit of maybe don't put the cameras here. And there might be, <laughs> yeah. a, and, and this is where, again, with NIMS and ICS, there's positions that are defined as a, as a representative in the room or as a liaison in the room. And there might be a liaison in the room who doesn't have a functional um, command function or, a, you know, a, a sort of leadership function, but they're there just to be that representative in the room who can pass back to the broadcast side of, we've got this situation, we're not stopping the show, we're not stopping the play for now, but be aware this might come up, you might want to queue up an ad break or might want to queue up some pitch side reporters. So, so the, the medical incident is, is on its way to being resolved, there's someone else in the party that is freaking out and you're getting a lot of looky-loos, um, technical term. Uh, so you're starting to get some ripples through the crowd that mm -hmm. is, uh, Usher 17 recognizes that the crowd is, is mm, don't have a technical term, might need some attention. They report that to their supervisor. Does that go through that same process? You would hope so. So it would go into the same kind of, you know, um, command post or, Operation Center, and because all of these different agencies would be represented in there, all these different you know functions, uh, they can then pass that over, and that's where within that room, there's probably they they would already be aware of this because it's an instant that that room is working to so that common operating picture situation awareness. Additional security resources weren't needed at the start of that incident, but they're aware it's happening. And if you've got a, a good supervisor in there or experienced supervisor, they've probably already started. Um, if they've got roaming response teams, for example, this might not be applicable to a Super Bowl, but to a festival or a concert, you've got roaming security resources, they might be saying, um, unit four, if you're not tasked to anything at the moment, maybe head over there and just be in the area in case you're needed. And that's where that um, common operating picture, but also that not using code words or anything like that has allowed a, a different function or a different discipline, not medical, but security, to be kind of a bit ahead and a one step ahead because they've heard that plain text message rather than going, what's a code 28B? Oh, I don't know. Well, we'll leave them to deal with that. And you know, and if, and also too, I mean, if, it, if it's not a security situation, it could also be a messaging situation where, you know, you've got public information officers from your different agencies represented within your control rooms and they get together and create some cohesive messaging to put out to the fans um, and also to the staff to kind of let them know there's a medical incident happening. It's resolving, maybe avoid the area. Um, just keep people updated. That's what people want. They want to be updated. So if messaging is going out, make sure another message goes out to, to sort of resolve it or to, to give an update. Sort of alleviate um, concern. Mm -hmm. um, if I may, there was, there was one piece that I kind of skipped over there. And, and sorry, this bit you might want to cut out if tell me if this is too much. But the other thing is somebody in that crowd might have placed a 911 call 
and this is where you're working with um, the on-duty public safety by having representation of them and close links with them they might come to you and say we've had a report of this medical incident and you can say yes we have a resource on its way to it we've got this and they can say yep that's the same call and and you know that's a combined you know kind of joint joint working there as well so it it works both ways it allows you to feed information into them uh, and also if it wasn't just usher number 17 who's reported it several 911 calls you can confirm that it's the same incident and it's being handled and saves a kind of over deployment of, of resources and john that that's the point that i wanted to build on you know the reason that I like ICS, it's not about incidents necessarily, it's about communications, is even a simple incident can often in, require the resources of a lot of different groups who are either directly or indirectly reachable through the command center. So, you know, I'll, I'll give my own simple example. Um, I watch English Premier League football several times this season there have been fan health incidents near the pitch, near the field. And as it turns out, people in the stands have, you know, gestured wildly and gotten the attention of the trainers of the teams first. So it wasn't something that was detected by somebody in the command center. It was literally something seen on the field. And so the first thing that happens that actually is an incident response is trainers running across the field while players look around what's going on the play stops the trainers sprint across the field well now there's going to be some response in the command center because they understand stuff is going on but it's reactive from them so what are they reacting to well they also have medical resources so in the command center they're deploying medics not the pitch side trainers but the fan-oriented medics, those people are getting deployed. Well, also it's in the stands. Now you have to get the guest services people to make sure that people in the stands move away so the medics can do their job. Well, potentially that's also a security issue. So security has to be notified to make sure the medics can do their job because the guest services people may have a lower level of ability to deal with security related issues and it's English soccer. So we know that fans get very passionate about this. John, you know, jump in and help me here. So <laughs> all of these things are going on simultaneously. Happily, you know, the incidents were addressed. The fans were taken away, received medical care, nothing awful long-term happened. But the point is something simple required at least three different operational teams all to be mobilized at the same time, but to do different things. Oh, and by the way, back to TV, the reason I know about this is the TV broadcasters had to know just enough about what was going on to say something. Meanwhile, the camera wasn't looking at this fan being given medical care, but rather the broadcasters are talking about something on the pitch or, you know, other team games, or maybe they cut away to the studio to show goal zone. And it's all going just fine because they're using some variation on the incident command system. Everybody's talking to everybody else. People are mobilized within their defined, what was it, Tammy? Their role, not their rank, 
Right. And they're doing their jobs. And that's what ICS is good for. You know, what we just did just now was sort of an, an, a scenario-based exercise. And, you know, again, I'm going to go back to training. I love training. Um, but one of the, the really important exercises that we do every year to prepare is, you know, once we've built our plans and we've trained on our plans internally, it's time to actually put those plans to the test a little bit in a tabletop exercise. Um, and that's, you know, an invaluable um, opportunity to work across the table with our, our partners, our AHJ partners, public safety, you know, but it goes even beyond medical, um, police and fire. It could be the public transportation system. It could be sanitation. Um, it could be, you know, your venues that are included in your event. It's that is your opportunity to see if we are communicating appropriately and to ask questions and to understand how one another is working to resolve an incident. So I know we haven't talked too much about that, but I, I wanted to mention it because I just think it's probably one of the best tools that there is before going into a large scale event and even a small scale event. Again, it's scalable. You can have what we just did. You know, we can have a zoom, you can have a zoom call with the local sheriff's department and say, Okay, so here's our scenario. How how would we work together to to resolve this? I was going to say in um, in in many scenarios as well as part of the ICS system, a, a number of documents will be produced, operational planning documents by um, you know by usually an emergency management department, uh, and very often you can request copies of those uh, if they you know if they pertain to your event, and that might include a contact list, what the briefings are, uh, what their communications are for the day and so on so um you know it will depend from event to event but there's there's very often planning documents within the ics structure standardized forms uh which you can also you can find freely available online to to kind of standardize your planning as well and to that point of working together and speaking the same language if you go to uh your um one of your hjs and go here's my ops plan for the day and it's on your headings and on your kind of paperwork and hand that over even though the objectives and the uh the, the things that yours might cover are very different to what theirs might cover they can look at them side by side and go okay well there's the boxes of contact lists and here's the boxes of you know the timings that people are on duty and so on and and again that just gives them a shows shows an understanding on, on both sides yeah so if you've been listening to the event safety podcast because somebody said to you recently with the new year we need you to make our our safety plan. I recommend that you research ICS and NIMS and FEMA and NFPA. I think those are a lot of the acronyms we use today uh, because those will give you some really good tools uh, for setting up what is appropriate for you. Uh, so I think this is a, a nice wrapping up point. Um, thank you so much, Tammy and John for sharing your expertise. Uh, it was, it's a lot to think about, and I appreciate you uh, playing the game because I think that, that at least helps me put it more into context um, because some of the concepts seem very complicated, and I think mm -hmm. they're not as complicated as it seems uh, when you read them, when you put them into practice. It's like almost common sense, not quite common sense. Um, do you guys have any final thoughts? You know, we've talked a lot about ICS and acronyms and, you know, I think probably I'd like to leave with, you know, 
aside from all the the courses that you're going to take online and and all the the information you're going to learn about ICS, pick up the phone and and call your public agencies and your AHJs and 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 have conversations with them and start communicating with them and understand what their plans are. Don't just again create your plan and go into this, you know, go into your event without having any sort of communication or practice with those who are going to be supporting your event from their side. Um, it's, you know, you, you can know, you know, ICS frontwards and backwards, but unless your plans um, complement each other, it's not going to work. Well, if you want to reach out to us, our email is podcast at eventsafetyalliance.org. Uh, registration is still open for the Event Safety Summit in March. We would love to see you there, either in person in Lidditz or online, uh, because we are offering both options. Uh, our website is eventsafetyalliance.org, and you can certainly register for that there. Thank you again, Tammy and John. Steve, I think we're wrapping now. I, I think we're wrapping now. Um, I'll add a last word about ICS because this resonates with me. Um, one of the things that I find satisfying about the law is usually when you get right down to it, it's just codifying things that make sense. Um, the law actually follows experience. It doesn't, it's not supposed to make experiences different. And ICS to me works the same way. It's just a fairly complicated looking chart basically is about how to communicate from people who know stuff to people who need to know stuff in order to make decisions and then to send those decisions back down to people who need to know stuff about decisions. I find that simple and satisfying. So, you know, if it sounds like there is the risk of getting lost in acronyms or, you know, government agencies, let that be a takeaway. It's actually a pretty simple thing and it's quite usable. Awesome. All right, everybody. Be well, stay safe.